Borak Thong Earthlets. Before we begin the show, I'd like to apologize for the audio quality of this episode and the next few episodes. Unfortunately, I had some of my audio settings done incorrectly and didn't realize it for a couple show tapings. I've since fixed the problem and it should be smooth sailing from here on out. Uh, so please bear with us for these next few episodes. Thank you for your patience and on with the show. Splendug Birthrig! My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 38th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. Yeah, 38, freak out. This so much. <laughs> this week we're taking a break from our usual weekly progs to cover the Dan Dare Annual 1980. Yeah. You might remember um, that, like, you know, from the 2000 AD annual and other things, that these are all dated for the year after they came out. This one coming out in September 1979. It's the first of two 1979 annuals we'll be covering, with the 2000 AD annual 1980 also coming out in, December, in September, which we'll cover after we do the September progs, blah, blah, blah. So these annuals, as always, are generally bought uh, by parents for kids. Like, you'd get them as, like, a birthday or a Christmas present or something like that. Because they're um, a million billion dollars. They're, like, yeah, they're, they're, like, a pound fifty or something like that. They're pretty yeah. expensive. Um, they're all hardcover and look good on a shelf. I'd say I've got a bunch of 2000 AD annuals that I've bought in the mm. course of this show that look very nice. Um, it's not like they're on garbage stock or anything. It's just no. they're garbage material. Yeah. And then, <laughs> as, yeah, as always, these are a home to familiar uh, thrills told by unfamiliar creative teams, as well as stories from the IPC Fleetway Vault and text articles, usually about like space and science fiction stuff. There aren't any credit cards for this annual, but I've managed to find some of the artists and other credits for the, some of the stories. And I'm not, yeah, and I'm not going to lie, this is kind of a rough annual. <laughs> uh, I, if you read through with us this time around, I'm just, I'm sorry. It's a whole thing. But no. let's get going with Thrill One, Dan Dare. Watch out, he's got a mustachioed co-pilot. <laughs> So this one, yeah, this one takes place, I'd say, you know, again, in between the original Dan Dare storyline and the Dan Dare action playset storyline, the uh, Lost Worlds. It starts off, yeah, with Dan working as the uh, pilot for a mustachioed coward named Taggart. <laughs> mustachioed coward. He's pretty ripped, too, for a coward. Yeah, well, you know, he works out. There's no danger in the gym for him, just <laughs> in um, in asteroid swarms. And he's like, ah, let the computer handle it. And Dan Dare's like, no, your computer doesn't have the right firmware upgrade to handle this kind of asteroid storm. <laughs> so, pretty whatever. Pretty much what happens. Yeah. Then he gives a swift back knuckle to the face. Yeah, so Dan Dare punches Taggart out and pilots his ship to safety, and then Taggart fires him. Dan Dare spends some time trapped on a planet unemployed until he finally gets hired on to another freighter. Dude, he talks to, like, this, like, guy who looks like he's a, a starfish, but with an eyeball for one of the things. It's weird. Yeah, it's a cool... Says, 
it's a cool section of the al at the uh, alien unemployment office basically it's like a way more mundane version of the of the star wars cantina scene yeah did you did you see like when dan was walking away he's like waving his little weird hand yeah <laughs> he is like, a weird starfish guy man you know he's from the future it's pretty cute <laughs> yes, yeah, and he speaks like a pirate. Yar, yeah. about ten sergeants since I arrived, man. <laughs> so Dan gets a job working on a freighter. These his co-pilots, many instantly recognize someone who eats his food raw. That's right, it's Rock the Dog Man. Yeah, not even he can save us from this comic. <laughs> Rock the Dog Man will remember, of course, from that sort of the sec from when Dan fought the Mekon that first time way back when. He's like an Irish setter dog man, I'd say. <laughs> or like an Afghan yeah. or something like that. He's got a cool mohawk, and usually he has a dope laser sword that is like not a lightsaber, question mark. <laughs> Who's to say? Uh, <laughs> but not in this one. Yeah, so the two buddies uh, get in and start piloting the ship. Meanwhile, we cut to a new uh, pirate leader who's got a bunch of robot pirates and oh man it's that taggart guy he's sold his ship and gone into piracy oh no what a jerk yeah it's a good job change though honestly i gotta say when he he was like a properly like evil dude he threw a guy out of an airlock and he's just watching him from the window of the airlock and he's like so long sucker yeah totally yeah he's using his mustache for evil um so whatever rock and dan they're piloting the ship they come under attack by the pirates there's a bunch of space fighting and stuff they end up both fighting taggart's robot forces in dog fighting and aboard the ship um they fight their way through at what no pun intended yeah so they 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 fight into the ship everybody kills each other blah 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 Taggart is defeated, and it's heavily implied that then Rock eats Taggart off-screen. Uh, and that's the end of the story. Which, you know, not bad. It's fun. It's like how they show respect or whatever on Dog Planet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a pretty fun story. This one is all in, uh, in full color, and mm. has some pretty decent like uh, spaceship fighting and robot fighting. Generally, just a, a, a good time is had by all, I'd say. And no Mekon, so it's like all ups. Hey, always good, yeah. So, now we go to uh, Thrill 2, Towering Inferno, for real. Which is the first of the uh, of the text articles for this annual. Mostly just talking about, um, you know, the semi-recent movie, The Towering Inferno, and how firefighting is actually done in big skyscrapers. I'd say... The only, the really good thing about this article is they got somebody to take the Tharg mask outside and take like a selfie in front of King's Reach Tower, the uh, 2000 AD uh, home office. It's true. It looks pretty cool. Almost <laughs> lifelike if it, if like you know, black and white and all that. Yeah. Apparently, it's like a, it's like a caveman mask that's been spray painted green or something like that. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Anyhow, let's go to our third story. Thrill 3, UFO Agent Part 1. I really didn't expect this to be back. Yeah, so last, I guess in the last Andy Annual, there was the start of the UFO Agent story, which is these two dudes who have been, like, empowered by spacemen to um, enforce the laws of the land, I guess. 
yeah, here, take these USB sticks and yeah. have the power of flight. Yeah, they got some magic wands that let them fly around. They got a UFO. It's like, <laughs> that's, you know, now they're fighting crime, I guess. Mostly they fight against members of EOS, the enemies of society. Which, like, they're a group of people? Is that not a society? Yeah. Whoa, wait a minute. You're right. Like, That's my brain exploding. Like, they're they're kind of like, they're like, we're so anti-establishment that we've gone back in and become an establishment. I guess you gotta spend money to make money, you know? Or no, fight fire with that. fire. That is fair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, there's a big lion statue in, um, in the made-up place of Chinthe of Taipan. Whatever. Big lion statue. <laughs> it's got, uh, ruby teeth. Or, or ruby fangs, I guess. And the enemies of society, uh, use gas grenades and steal the ruby teeth Luckily, the UFO agents heard about this ahead of time and are lying in wait. So they chase after the EOS guys, easily kick their butts, and return the stolen fangs. Good times. Yeah, and everyone wakes up and they're like, oh, nothing's been stolen. As, like, a dude is flying through the roof looking it's, like a goober. Basically, you know, problems present themselves to the UFO agents. They always solve them instantly and essentially effortlessly. Well, it's just like... And, and then, like, make really terrible jokes. They they sink their getaway ship by, I guess, flying the saucer near it, and then it sinks the boat. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, things went swimmingly. <laughs> it's like... Uh, ha, 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 ha. That's it's awesome. It's really horrible. <laughs> totally. All right. Let's move on to Thrill 4, Big Eye in the Sky. Big Eye in the Sky is just a story about um, this new Russian telescope. Mm -hmm. The world's largest optic telescope. Anyway, these Russians are ahead of us in the telescope race. Boo! And we move ahead because I don't want to focus too much on these tech stories, man. Cause, no. So we go to, so much. Yeah. So we go to Thrill 5, programmed to destroy... Uh, this is a fun, um, or I'd say this is a pretty decent story. It's clearly drawn by Massimo Bellardinelli doing his Bellardinelli yep. thing. But so, basically, um, in the distant past, there was a planet called Jumar that was in between yep. Mars and Jupiter. But then uh, yeah. an, an, a warship for, that was fighting a war between two ancient alien species uh, smashed into the planet and completely destroyed it, causing... Are the uh, asteroid belt that's currently there to be formed, which you know, huge if true, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. But but basically now there's the asteroid belt, and lodged in the inside the middle of one of these asteroids is the AI war war brain computer of that spaceship. This will be important later. Yeah. So cut, smash cut to that same asteroid with the computer brain on it, and a bunch of uh, space miners, miner dudes, have just shown up, and they're gonna find some big loads aboard this planet, <laughs> aboard this asteroid. <laughs> Sorry, rich loads, but you know what I mean. Oh God. <laughs> Looks good, Angus. Ought to be rich loads right under our feet. <laughs> 
they talk about loads a lot in this golden loads and things. So as they go looking for these rich loads, um, all of their machinery starts to uh, come alive and like be controlled by some other force. And instead of like trying to say like, well, let me try or like whatever, the guy who's running the operation just gets in people's faces like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, how <laughs> come you're driving that car so weird, buddy? You almost ran me over. He's like, no, it's being controlled by an alien force. Like, don't give me that guff. And yeah, yeah. it's very quickly devolves into a, a terminal velocity situation with car, <laughs> you know, uh, people getting killed and, um, wait, no. What was that one called? Maximum overdrive? Yes, a maximum oh. overdrive situation where, um, you know, the vehicles are killing people and it's no good. Eventually they realize that there's this big computer thing or some big, you know, whatever, robot poltergeist going on in the base of the, uh, pl- of the planet. Robot poltergeist. Yeah, they gotta stop it or else it'll get free and then um, take over the world or kill off humanity and stuff. So what do you do, you run into a cave while some giant construction material chases you and then it tries to drill in the cave. And so for the first out of two of these comics, human beings employ many nukes. <laughs> Well, yeah, but I mean, of also, well, like, like they nuke it a little bit, all right. But the big thing <laughs> is that then they uh, dump, they open up the mining base's water supply and just dump a crapload of water all over it, frying it, frying its circuits and stuff because these ancient computer systems are poorly made, basically. God, start giving you a talking to, like, yeah, maybe this one was simple, but. You know, if you let's ever see something else, you don't know if it'll be that easy to fix. It's like what? Yeah, if you see something, say something. That's what Tharg says. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, be aware that it may be difficult to destroy um, alien computers hell bent on destroying humanity. So you know, be aware of that too. I feel like that's an important Which, message for the kids. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I guess. <laughs> Well, like, you don't want kids to assume that's going to be easy to beat robots that are bent on destroying humans, buddy. <laughs> I mean, he did just show a very specific story that, like, ended with just use water. Just that's, add water. That's why he's got to put the message at the end, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> Let's go to uh, Thrill 6 More Articles. Power. Yeah, there's one article that, like, I barely understand what it's about. <laughs> it's called Pedal Power. And it's it's basically like some dude created a tricycle car that's got, like, a canvas covering. <laughs> As a uh, as an an- for the, an- the, the, an- the 75th anniversary of uh, Bern, Switzerland's public transportation system. <laughs> <laughs> um and it's like it's just a little yeah b-e-r-n-e i'll have you know oh god but um yeah so you know it's like a uh it's a little tricycle like three-wheeled thing <laughs> it looks really weird yeah he's like oh public transit's so cool i'm gonna make a trike but it's weird because a trike isn't public transportation this is something that you'd use to not take the bus <laughs> So whatever the other the other article is about the uh, the American air or the, the American Air and Space Museum. Mm-hmm. 
Which is um, cool. In D.C., I've been there a couple times. Uh, it's very cool. It's got a bunch of spaceships and stuff, if you want to check that out. Highly recommended. Yeah. And that takes us... And speaking of traveling through space, oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Thrill 7, 3000 A.D., The Traveler. I... I have so many things to say about this one. The, the art for this one is done by Mike McMahon, and it's awesome. Yeah, it's a sweet, it's a sweet future, it's a sweet story about a future dude who has to fight his way through a ton of enemies from uh, thugs to futuristic murder tanks. It feels so, kind of Fallout esque, almost. Yeah, it's definitely like just this guy with a bunch of weaponry, like fighting his way through the po- post apocalyptic setting. He's got like and, rocket and using nuclear weapons again. Yeah. He's got rocket boots. He's got a sweet Captain America shield. He drops nukes on people. He uses nukes to rocket jump. Like uh, he's got a he's got a, a nuclear springboard basically. <laughs> what? And then after fighting his way through all this stuff, he finally arrives home. And his wife's like, how was the day at the office? And he takes off his helmet and says, like, old dude with, like, a purple bowler hat on. And he's like, ah, the account section is fine. But these journeys home, they're getting to be murder. I just didn't get this. Well, it's like, you know, it's one of these things where it's like, here's this future dude having this awesome futuristic combat. But it turns out that in the year 3000 AD, that's just your commute is fighting your way through untold enemies and setting off a couple uh, nukes. Like, whereas for me, it might be taking the bus. For him, it's like, ah, oh, I got a nuke, fi- I had to nuke five dudes today. Like, traffic was rough. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, the future. <laughs> Speaking of the future, we go to Thrill 8, 3001, A Space Poem. I sing a song of spiders. Yeah, arts by uh, Brett Ewens and Jim McCarthy, and they've basically just drawn a big, a big, um, a big, a big old spider fighting some space guys <laughs> with a uh, a poem that is at least partially based on uh, that William Blake poem, uh, "Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright." But it's spider, spider, burning bright in the darkness of a ten-year night. Whoa. Who fired the scorching laser bolt that framed your sparkling fur in in flame? A thousand years your planet runs, her dervish dance against the star, and you were lonely, oh so lonely, waiting visitors from afar. Well, it's basically just about this giant spider guy that just wants some friends, but no, these space dudes have to blast him with lasers instead. It's kind of a sad story, honestly. Yeah, it sucks being a creepy spider. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, but you know you know what else sucks, Fox, I'm sad to say? Uh, yeah, uh, about four jillion pages uh, of suck. Thrill 9, Rick Random, a killer in space. Yeah, so it's, 40, it's, it's 44 pages long. Um, <laughs> but that's, uh, it's really only 15, but it's, you know, it's another one of these, of these, cla- of, of these old Rick Random stories where there's four pages on each page of the prog. Um, this one is rough. Um, <laughs> Easily. Like, well, let's just do a different podcast. I don't know. Is there some other old comic book we could talk about? But, like, I, I can't agree with you more. Like, this was so fucking boring and so fucking wordy. 
and it, it didn't even like uh, spoilers. It didn't even fucking matter at the end. And, yeah, well, like there is no mystery. Yeah, it's the standard sort of Rick Random thing where there's a lot of setup and a lot of really dense talking and not a lot of sort of action to back it up. And honestly, this one is really cl- is to me really clearly just like a regular kind of mystery story that they just tossed in a spaceship, basically. Yeah. Like, it could easily be on, like, a cruise ship or something like that. But, okay, here's how it goes, Fox, all right? Uh. There's a dead lady. Her name is Anna Martin. A mysterious rich dude has hired a private detective to chronicle the last two years of her life before she died. He does so, and the rich guy marks nine names from that chronicle for death. Um, they're invited from all over. Um, there's a rich jerk, there's a nurse, there's an actor, there's an acrobat, there's an actress, there's a small-time crook, there's a millionaire, there's a housewife, and there's a colonel and his wife. Um, they're all invited, for one reason or another, aboard a spaceship to Venus, and that is a spaceship of death. Oh, I yeah. wonder who the murderer is. Also at that spaceport is Rick Random, murder investigation extraordinaire. Um... <laughs> On board the ship, the rich jerk guy talks to the acrobat and realizes that something is fishy. Apparently, they've both been getting death threats that also involve a black glove or something like that. But yeah, yeah. Anyhow, the rich jerk tries to leave the ship, but instead his body is found on an acceleration couch inside the spaceship, stabbed in the back by a knife that has a built-in black glove. Or, like, the, the knife handle's built into the hand of a black glove that's also left at the scene. So, uh, Rick is called in to investigate the murder and ends up taking the trip to Venus along with everybody else. As the flight goes on, the ship's radio is destroyed. Another passenger gets killed by being hanged in a noose with a black glove attached to the noose as well. And the ship is forced to land on a weird planetoid called Logo, which has a breathable atmosphere and a big herd of deadly murder plant beasts. Um... One of them manages to get in the ship and kills another passenger. At this point, we learn that everybody aboard the ship is related via this Anna Martin character. Like, three, the, the three guys who have died were all married to her and did her wrong in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And everybody else kind of wronged her in one way or another. But kind of by accident and sort of unknowingly. Often by accident, often kind of circumstantially. Anyhow, it turns yeah. out that um, another of the passengers, the millionaire, is actually the killer. He's blamed everybody for the various slights against Anna and uh, b- before she died. And so now he's going to kill them all. But instead, he ends up getting killed by a mysterious new monster on the planet. <laughs> And every, everybody else manages to escape in the prearranged escape off the planet that the murderer had previously set up. Uh, the end. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous because um, like there's no way to tell this ahead of time or anything. You can't really figure out like who's the killer and stuff. So that's sort of hard to like set up. But then it's just there's just a lot of characters and it's hard to kind of figure it all out. And again, just the standard Rick Random problem of it all being incredibly dense and hard to read, like, on the page. And then just boring as well. Yeah, like, by the end, the guy that they set up 
for being the dude who executed all the mur- I, I mean, I just forgot his name. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, this was the guy, and he died. And I'm like, which one was he? Exactly, yeah. I don't yeah. remember you. <laughs> so that's it. I don't want to sort of belabor this one too much, mm-hmm. but that's sort of that. For that Rick Random story, I'm like 90% sure that this is the last Rick Random the last time Rick, Rick Random will darken this podcast, I'm almost positive it is. Oh man, I hope, uh, I, I really hope so. That would, that would be a real like kind of Christmas gift come early. These are just rough. They're hard to read in comparison to the other stuff. You know, I'm sure. Like, look, I don't want to say like if you like Rick Random, you're dumb, all right, or anything like that. Like, I <laughs> feel like these have their charm. I feel like, and are certainly from an era of storytelling and stuff, but. Mm-hmm. They're just a huge whiplash from everything else that we just read in the course of this 2000 AD story, and like, yeah. they just aren't very fun for 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 me to read. I guess I don't know. It just disrupts expectation in a huge way, you know. Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's go to something else that's really weird and unexpected. <laughs> oh. Yeah, <laughs> Thrill Ten, Judge Dread. So this Judge Dredd story is drawn by Keith Page. And, yeah, it's very odd, all right? So because it seems like this was written about the events that happened at the end of 1978. Um, yeah. with, with 2000 AD. Um, which is basically, if you'll recall, Fox, there was a, a, a strike towards the end of 1978. And yeah, it led... this felt very, like, yeah. Yeah, it... it it led to a bunch of issues of 2000... It, it basically led to only one prog being put out in December of 1978 mm. um, because of sort of a labor thing. So this story seems to be about that, but it's like, so uh, Dredd is driving back to his apartment at Luna City and finds a Christmas party going in full swing with Tharg and all of like the characters from 2000 AD and Star-Lord as guests. Yeah. Like there's uh, yeah so you know there's Tharg and there's um, Dan Dare and Johnny Alpha and Rojas and Hammerstein, um, Walters there, Mach Zero's there, all these guys. And Judge Dredd's really quick to just kind of accept that all these people are in his apartment. It's true. So he sort of pals around and drinks and sort of they do party stuff. Um, Mechquake taught throws. Uh, offers to teach Dan Dare judo and stuff, but which um, is awesome. Yeah, Quake almost saves this comic. <laughs> so everything's going fine until a bunch of no good robots show up. Uh, the, ro- the robots are all IPC branded, like they have the I- IPC written on them, and they claim to be a script artist and lettering robots. And the script robot is made by Mills RoboScripts Incorporated. So I'm assuming this is a caricature of 2000 AD writer uh, Pat Mills. A little on the nose. Yeah. So, but there, these robots are all on strike. They have various demands about robot-y things. In response um, to this, Dread and all the other characters basically try to break the strike and, like, beat up all the robots. Yeah. Even, like, Rojas and Hammerstein, robots themselves beat up the striking robots. It's really weird. And Mechquake, of course, he wants to do big jobs. I mean, he doesn't really care. Of course. Yeah. But so, they beat up all the, uh, they they beat up all the droids. The droids give in and stop the strike. And because of the disturbance that's been created, Judge Dredd arrests everybody involved, including himself. And they all get taken off to jail until the end of the year. Um, the 
cop who Judge Dredd turns himself into is Officer Ogasno, which I'm assuming might be a reference to 2000 AD, to former 2080 editor Kelvin Gosnell. Hmm. But, like, I don't know. Plus, also, it's kind of weird that judges, Judge Dredd's in Luna City here just because yeah. that was because that's where Judge Dredd was at the end of 1977, not of 1978. You know? The end of 78 was during Judge Cal and stuff. Um, so the timing of this is all weird. And like, honestly, this is the number one thing I'd ask about if I, if I, if, if I got to interview um, like an old, an old member of the creative team from that period. You know, I'd be like, what's up with this comic? Like, like is this a joke that, that you guys were like friendly about this strike thing and just sort of wanted to like make tell us tell tell a funny story about it is this like mean-spirited and pointed at somebody like what's going on here you know yeah it is like extra bizarre like all of these characters coming together and doing weird shit i mean even bill savage is in it yeah i mean just like the tone of it is 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 very strange just in terms of like i can't tell like who they're making fun of here or like what the point of it is and stuff like that i don't know it's weird it really is (laughs) Anyhow, yeah, oh, God. that's sort of the big question mark. Now we go on to things that are a little bit more easy to understand, if rough, with <laughs> Thrill 11 UFO Agent Part 2. Yay. So, yeah, a bunch of no good crooks um, steal a train full of bank, full of used banknotes going back into London to be destroyed. UFO agents uh, stop them easily. Good times. You know, I I will give this some credit. The way that they fly like a bunch of dorks through the air is like I every time I saw that I laughed. Yeah, they use like a pen thing to fly, so it means that there's very much like sort of Thor's hammer style flying as opposed to sort of more Superman-y kind of flying. Mm. And yeah, like the like the way they fly is not very smooth at all, which is kind of funny actually. Yeah, very antithetical to superheroes and yeah. stuff. They're just a they're just a bunch of schmoes. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, Thrill Twelve, I Mutant. This is a a, a prose story, and mm-hmm. I gotta say, I kind of I kind of hate being anti prose stories because it makes me sound like a dummy. But man, I hate prose stories. I don't like to read words. <laughs> Yeah, it, totally. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So, this one, I'm Mutant, is about a guy being a hideous mutant, but in the end it turns out it's one of those Twilight Zone pig people things where the ugly mutant is actually just a regular person and the norms are gross monster people. Yeah, it's like three-headed with tentacles on their heads and like all this other stuff. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so that moves on to a Thrill 13, even more articles. <laughs> So, three articles here. There's a general stat sheet about the planet Earth, and accompanying it is a picture of the planet Earth, which depicts the, all of the Earth's continents appearing on one face of the globe, so it's not to scale. Like, this picture posits an Earth where there's an entire hemisphere that's completely sea, which is not true. I didn't even notice that when I was going through this. What yeah. the hell? Generally, when you see North America on the globe, you can't see Asia, but that's not the case here. <laughs> There's Any- a mystery continent somewhere out there. Exactly. Um, anyhow, 
There's another article that's about uh, statues, I guess, and sort of comparing, like, I guess, like just big old <laughs> statues with some statues we've seen in 2000 AD, like the one of the uh, Statue of Justice and the one for Mr. Monday, like back Which, in the early days of 2000 AD. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong. Mr. Monday's statue is pretty great. Yeah, but the timing of this is really ridiculous because all of these, th- this tech article must have been <laughs> written in like the first couple months of 2000 AD when both of those statues appeared. Like, really missing is that time in the Cursed Earth where they actually went to Mount Rushmore and we saw the two extra heads carved into it. Like, why wouldn't you have that when you're specifically talking about Mount Rushmore? You know what I mean? What the hell? Like this story, like like this seems like it was written, like it was written like in like 1977 or something like that, you know? Which I wonder if they just have a backlog of dumb shit to throw in these. Wouldn't surprise me. The the the, the final article is about real flying saucers, which is basically yeah. um like a couple planes, the uh the avoid uh X F five U one and the V one seventy three flying flapjack, which were both um propeller driven like big flat planes, like they look kind of like uh look like flying saucers or like basically big big pancakes essentially. Yeah, um, if you played like the top down bullet shooter nineteen eighty four, you've seen one of these. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They definitely have a very distinctive look, and they actually and like they they actually existed and were sort of in service and like towards the end of World War II and stuff. Um, This one talks about a jet version, which I don't believe actually existed based on, you know, it's just an artist's conceptions just based on some light Googling I've done. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, anyhow, um, final UFO agent story. Hooray. Thrill 14, UFO agents part three. Hey, look, more weirdos. Yeah, so this time, uh, the UFO agents break into a waxworks, like a, uh, a wax museum, and use okay. alien technology to animate all the statues there, creating general havoc, and then using that to cover their own robbery of a lifelike model of some general, which yeah. they then use as bait to draw out and then destroy a bunch of would-be assassins of that general. Which... Alright. It's a super complicated story, but man, the uh, UFO agents are pretty goddamn chuffed about their actions. (laughs) (laughs) What I don't get is, like, all of the guys were already standing everywhere, so the, like, the group of people, they just, like, net them... Well, they, that's, they like, had to, that's they, like the guy that they're trying to protect. Yeah, they had what? to use they had to use their futuristic space net so that the general guy they're trying to protect wouldn't actually be out there going on safari. You know, they had so that that way they'd be hidden under the protection the protected space net while um, they dropped the the wax dummy of the guy they're trying to protect to actually be killed by the assassins. But the assassins are in a giant flame tank they would have seen the giant flame tank and just blown that up instead no man it's like a stealth flame tank i guess i don't know (laughs) it was so pointless listen all right yeah we don't know how what the stealth technology that that the enemies of society have okay i mean (laughs) they could have a stealth tank shitty sherman tank the other guys have a ufo man (laughs) 
Like, we don't know what's going on here with this technology. Uh, I guess, man. I I guess. <laughs> All right. Next up, Thrill 15. You called, sir? Which More is old ass robots. Yeah, this is a feature about uh, contemporary, like nineteen seventies, like housekeeping robots. I'd say, but I don't. I don't think these robots are actual things, man. No, there's a dude clearly inside of the first picture. You you see his face in the yeah. photo, and then the rest of them are like at best remote controlled, or like it's a dog walking robot that's basically just a um like a robot on a robot frame on wheels that your dog pulls around basically. And the dog yeah. they're using is fairly tiny, so that's either light or that's really messed up. Yeah, I mean the last one they have is an actual like you know one of those another one of the bomb uh, detecting robots or, you know, bomb diffusing robots that we've seen previously, which is the same thing, you know, it's just, um, they're, those are the actual, the only actual robots that exist, you know, the ones that are just remote, that (laughs) are still remote controlled, but are a thing that we can send to like, um, open packages we think are bombs because they're expendable, you know? Uh, yeah. And that's like the most interesting thing. I guess. That's, then. that's the most advanced robot they have now. It's basically 40 years later the most advanced robot we, we currently have. <laughs> Fair. To be honest, I mean, you know, there's those Boston, like, there's those uh, Boston Dynamics ones, but they don't actually do anything. They just, people just, like, throw bricks at them and they keep standing and it's very disturbing. They don't, like, have a... <laughs> oh, God. They are super creepy, but yeah. they haven't actually employed them yet. Yeah, they aren't actually, like, like out there in the field, as, I, as, as far as I know, at least. But God, they speaking, are really creepy. Yeah, no, totally. Going to kill us all. It's going to be awesome. Um, <laughs> no. Speaking. Hey, but hey. Speaking of robots killing us all, actually. <laughs> Thrill sixteen. The man from the ministry. This one's another um, text story. It's about or a prose story. It's about a chef who becomes a government inspector of ro- of, of robot restaurants. Because he's got a friggin' bone to pick with him, man. Well, now he's... Yeah, now he's like a government inspector who's super racist against robots. <laughs> like, he, like, plants evidence of their of their restaurants being all um, dirty and stuff. Which I don't think I'm a fan of, to be honest. Like, this is not a cool, a cool move. Yeah. What is funny is that all of the robots in this restaurant all have uh, Call Me Kenneth-style Call Me X names. But yeah. all the names are um, like racist English versions of various ethnic stereotypes. So yeah. there's a waiter that's called Colomy Mario, and then there's <laughs> a French chef that's called Colomy Pierre. <laughs> you know. Um, anyhow, eventually the inspector uh, trips and is semi-accidentally killed by the robots who then cover up his death by serving his body to customers. Uh, As Tharg says at the end, I guess you could say he got his just desserts. Eh? Eh? All right. (laughs) It's literally, that's how it ends. It was what? Hey, listen, you're going to eat this dude, all right? That's just how it goes. (laughs) I got to say... I mean, it's a very English thing for this to be possible because they serve him as a dessert, and that feels like a very English thing to have a meat-based dessert that I feel like we don't really do that much in America. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, final actual story. 
Thrill 17 Garbage. And uh, true to its name. <laughs> I thought this story was, was funny in its extreme weirdness. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. I mean, yes. So, basically, um, a pair of dudes drive to work and talk about the global garbage problem, which they're in charge of solving. <laughs> they drive, basically, from the suburbs to the city, and in between, in the highway, is basically just... The highway is... Uh, it's like an elevated highway that's surrounded by an endless huge heaps of garbage full of man-eating human-sized rats <laughs> oh did you drive off this thing into the giant heap of garbage well guess you're gonna get eaten by these rats and the city is full of uh, compu- of uh, laser drones killing the rats as they try to get further into the city I like how they just leave that guy. They're like, I mean, we're late already. Just leave him to die. I mean, what can they do? That guy's dead, man. He <laughs> fell in the garbage. All these rats are eating him. I mean, that's, you know, that's just how it goes, you know? Um, yes. So, these guys are work at the Ministry of Garbage. They talk about the different methods they've tried to use to get rid of the garbage. First, they tried to shoot it into space, but the garbage was too heavy for the rockets, and the rockets <laughs> fell back on Earth and just got more garbage everywhere. Ah, jeez. Exploded and people running away. <laughs> Next up, they invented uh, 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 Stargates, basically. And they're like, all right, we'll just freaking just pump it through the Stargate onto some other planet. But they did that, and they kept running into all these other advanced alien races being like hey don't dump your garbage on this planet and they're like ah get out of here you environmentalists (laughs) which i thought was pretty hilarious honestly (laughs) luckily uh their interstellar exploration to find a place the garbage has managed to find this planet called purgatory which has a bunch of like nosferatu which is full of like uh these nosferatu guys in shorts they all wear shorts they all look like nosferatu and if you try to feed them garbage oh man they love that garbage it tastes so good (laughs) so it's really disturbing honestly the picture of these Nosferatu guys uh, eating trash out of like these big uh, kibble like uh, dog food bowls is being like ah it's good like ah they like it so they pop the champagne corks build a, uh, a matter portal on top of a hill and they just start dumping all the garbage in a huge torrent onto the planet of Purgatory. The pla- their planet is saved. Our planet is saved. Hooray! So here's the real question. Is this just a massive allegory for, like, some dude who had to do this thing at Fleetway while there was a writer strike and he fucking hates everybody there and he's like, I hate 2008. I think it's garbage, and these are the people who want to eat these filthy comics. I gotta say, the moral of this story is really weird because I don't feel like there. I don't feel like there is one. Like maybe it's just like stick to it, and eventually you'll find a place that's okay with you dumping garbage on it. Because that's where the story ends. Yeah, all this Rick random. Because that's where the story ends. It's just these guys driving off into the sunset, talking about how now that. They've gotten rid of all this garbage. They're talking about maybe we should buy some of the land that's underneath all this garbage stuff once they kill all the rats on it and stuff. <laughs> Could be worth something, you know? Oh. I don't know. 
it's 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 a ridiculous I just, story. I don't. I don't. This whole Conrad. All right. One last thing, Fox. One last oh, thing. Thrill 18 tomorrow today, which is just a quick feature about 3001: A Space Transit, which is a, a Ford Transit van that made the auto show start circuit in the late 1970s. It's a pretty freaking sweet van, Fox. It's got a bunch of 3001 decals on it. It's got six wheels, four in the back, and and th- it's got big windows, which is cool for a van. And then I think this is the best part. It's got gold wing doors, 100%. Like, all the wings are gold wing doors. So it's like a van, but the doors open upwards like, like a DeLorean or something like that. The problem is that... Yeah, and there's Space Babes, and they got the Lunar Rover to sort of be at its um, auto show exhibit, you know? The problem with this car, though, is that because it's got gullwing doors, which are not safe, especially on a van uh, chassis, like they'd pop open and stuff, uh, <laughs> this car was never street legal in the United States or anywhere else. Oh, my God. And so the ones that they um, that they sold were more just sort of for people to kind of like pop the doors but not actually drive any place. Uh, very few still exist to this day. Like the only place i could find a contemporary picture of one on the internet was some guy who found one in like the back of some uh, junkyard was trying to restore it basically oh my god okay that makes me kind of want it this history is dude a van with gullwing doors is awesome dude like i don't know <laughs> like and the fact that the gullwing doors are not safe or well done so that if you drive at like 50 miles an hour there's a very real chance that they'll just open up and you'll be like open the elements and stuff it's an air of danger that I enjoy, you know? Yeah. That's a... <laughs> yeah. Anyhow. It's so true. That's it for the uh, Dan Dare Annual 1980, Fox. It's the last Dan Dare Annual. Next year, we'll have the 1981 Judge Dread Annual, which I'm, I've, I've looked through, and I think it's going to be way better. I'm pretty excited. But it brings us to a very important question. What was your top thrill for this, the Dan, the, uh, the Dander Annual 1980? I mean, fucking clearly Rick Random. <laughs> top. Top the crop. Bold. Oh, God, it was horrible. Uh, I mean, so garbage? I mean, garbage. That's my top. All right. What's your bottom? Weird. <laughs> A lot of options. Every single other part. <laughs> I didn't like, like you didn't like Dan Dare um, with a rock coming back and stuff. Uh, like evil mustache bros. <laughs> he was kind of funny, you know. All right, with the ex- so basically, read the first comic and read the last comic, and you're good. All right, um, I liked garbage as well, just because sort of in my story of it, like I just kind of liked that it was so like weird and amoral and stuff. Um, <laughs> I like the uh, the Judge Dredd story also, just because that feels like such a weird, mysterious look into like the internal politics, of the IPC offices at the time. I suppose, yeah. Just, but just it like, just wasn't very good. I mean, it wasn't great, but it just raised so many questions for me that I find it to be fascinating. You know. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, 
And yeah, other than that, uh, yeah, man, uh, garbage was like, I don't know. Like, I'd watch, <laughs> it felt like a weird Twilight Zone episode. More than a lot of things, it felt like a Twilight Zone episode that didn't have a moral. I was just like, yep. And I, I admi- and that feels like bold storytelling, to be honest. Yeah, well, I just like the fact that it was called the Ministry of Garbage. Totally. Not waste management, not anything like fancy. Nah, you're the Ministry of Garbage. There's yes. too much of this. Absolutely. All right. So <laughs> that brings so, 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 so that's it for this week <laughs> for this episode. Burn my eyes out. <laughs> These annuals are bad, guys. Anyhow, I hope you enjoyed the show. You can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or our podcast site at Cradaline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're Space Spinner 2K, and everything else, just look up Space Spinner 2000, and we should be there. Oh, yeah. Tune in next episode as Judge Dredd escalates the Cold War between the Sov cities and Mega City One, and we meet Otto Sump, the ugliest man of all time. Then Blackhawk makes a new friend and kills a bunch of awesome alien monsters. Wolfie Smith gets a job in the film industry. Bill Savage reenacts another classic Alfred Hitchcock film, besides Psycho. And. We finally recruit the final ABC warrior and then get our ass to Mars. Oh, yeah. Dude, yes. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendogvrithrig. Splendogvrithrig. <laughs> <laughs>